1: Now, here is your host.
2: Today, I'm talking with a straight hustler, exec chef at Anate, lead production at Hop Alley, consultant with Thrice, Sean Lauer in Denver, Colorado. Sean, you are a busy man. Thanks for making time for us.
1: No, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm sorry for pushing it back a little bit, but...
2: Hey, I tell, man, it's, it's the life, that, that hustle, that kitchen hustle. Grew up around Colorado on farms, playing sports. Loved reading that you graduated from school with only 50 total students, and you were really reflective of that time. Tell us about that a little bit, about what you took away from those, those early days that you apply to kind of your life in the kitchen.
1: All right, yeah. So, I mean, I guess growing up, I grew up in between Aurora and Elizabeth for a long time, um, back and forth as far as like summers in Elizabeth regular school year in Aurora. And my mom lived in Elizabeth on a big horse ranch. We boarded horses and had cattle and acres of alfalfa and gardens and chickens and all that stuff. Um So I, I kind of really took it for granted back then, actually uh having that whole, that whole uh, thing going on. I never really thought that I was going to be a chef and didn't really care about that too much. But um what, like sitting there over summers watching TV, I really got into cooking because of Iron Chef, the j- original Japanese version, that shit was amazing to me. I love the Japanese work ethic and just the way they like, those people were just badass. And so that kind of really cap- uh, captivated me and got me interested in cooking to begin with. And then, you know, I was able to just play around in my mom's kitchen and just like, would make rice and put like different sauces on it. And I was, like, as a very young kid, so always really a picky eater. And then my mom would make awesome meals and I was, I was, I was like, Oh, I don't want to eat that. And I would make my own thing. So being in that environment was really cool. Playing sports, uh, basketball, baseball, football, really kind of helped me like with discipline and camaraderie, which is something you all see in the kitchen every day, a little bit of grab ass. We all like to have a little bit of fun and fuck around a little bit, but that kind of, you know, encapsulated everything that got me, super interested once I started working in kitchens and made it really natural for me I guess
2: yeah that, that makes a lot of sense especially that that level of camaraderie and and trust and confidence in each other which is definitely built through sports you know reading about the the pigs and, and rearing animals and the respect and and I think the reflection that didn't quite you took it for granted I think you said and and now yeah, you're yeah like, man mean, that's everything now right yeah, you're I, used,
1: like, Damn. I used to go I used to go to rodeos all the time and like one point my mom entered me into a grease pig catching contest. So I caught this greased pig out of like 20 little kids running around with this little baby pig greased up running around the middle of a rodeo or like a little rodeo stall and caught a pig. And then we took it home. And luckily we lived on the farm where we could have a, we had a pig pen and I raised it from a baby all the way up. So we slaughtered it and ate it for the next two months. Every, so every kind of thing you can imagine country ham, bacon, Ham, like regular unsmoked hams like all that kind of stuff pork chops and all that so it was just cool to have that that kind of relationship with it but I, I never really felt that like oh so we I named him Red Bull and this was shit probably like 96 I was probably like nine years old and I never really had that weird connection where I was like oh no I don't want to slaughter him it was just kind of like accepted my parents were very very much like this is being raised for food and one day we're going to, and it never really clicked for me. Like I was never really upset about it, I guess.
2: Yeah. So matter of fact, that's super interesting. That family dynamic, I think is pretty clearly very important to you. is ask about those proudest moments kind of of your career. And I love, I love when they're not the, the prototypical, I won this award or that award. And for you, you talk about the proudest moments being when, your family comes and sees you cooking and gets to feel the energy that you have. I'd love to, you f- reflect on that. And I know there's a funny story about a three foot chimichanga, which
0: I have. To-
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so it, I guess it was at central bistro and bar when um, Matt Selby was the executive chef at the time, it was just us uh, kids cooking uh, brunch. One day It was a 450 cover packed to the gills, busy, busy as could be brunch. Um, my family was in town and it was the only day they could really come out to the restaurant to see me. So I got a, a 10 top reservation, like a couple aunts, uncles, cousins, and my dad. And my dad historically like eats a lot of food. He's a big, big old guy. So big bodybuilder guy could just put down protein, no problem. So one of the jokes in the back was we would always make him big, like oversized portion things. In the middle of this busy ass brunch, Jesse, my friend Jesse, my friend Bowen, and a couple of the other cooks, they built this big breakfast burrito and then took a big a big rondo three foot breakfast burrito put it on like a wire rack and with strings attached to it and like heated up oil and lowered it down into the rondo and fried up this chimichanga (laughs) and then we like smothered it covered into like a whole just chimichanga breakfast burrito status but it was just really cool to see like my friends getting along with my family so much and they to the point where they wanted in the middle of a busy ass service take the time to fry a big-ass burrito it was cool
2: i love the uh balance of both ghetto cooking
1: that's some macgyver oh, you should have right seen the, i have a picture you should have seen you know? the setup yeah the picture's hilarious it's just strings attached to a wire rack being lowered into a big rondo of, of, of oil it's cool i love hearing that and just the family
2: part we forget about we're cooking for people and the people closest to us is the best people to cook totally.
1: for. So I mean, it was an open kitchen. So it was really cool to like, to see them see how busy we were. And just like the, I guess the reason it's such a proud moment is because of that, like your, your family's like, okay, this is awesome. And like, it's busy and just being able to, cause they don't know what it's like in a kitchen. So for them to get that little bit of interaction, that little bit of a peek into what's going on back there was really cool.
2: That glimpse is important. And so speaking of, glimpses behind the curtain. We love to learn about people through what's in their fridge, what's in their pantry, what they're always eating at home. I always feel, I truly know people when I know the way that they interact with food and drink inside the comfort of their own homes. So, loved a couple of things. I mean, you got tequila, that's always, that's always a, <laughs> that's always a, a must. <laughs> there was a couple of things in here that I did not know about and or other people won't know about. So you gotta tell us, what is Marquee Theater Pizza? And then Tamago no Gohan is a a super cool dish that a lot of people have never had, let alone heard of, that you always have on hand. So we can definitely hang out because I love, love me some of that. So talk about those two.
1: Yeah, so I mean, Marquee Theater, obviously downtown off Larimer Street. That's my my favorite slice in town. Um, They do like like, New York style pizza. It's only second to Joe's Famous. And they um, always like, I would order it on Grubhub for a little while. And just, just straight cheese with just pepperoni. So just pepperoni pizza, nothing crazy. I would always like write a little note on Grubhub because you can like put at the bottom, like leave a direction or like extra sauce on side, whatever. And I would always put like, thanks guys, like best slice in town. And they would always leave like a little note in the top of my pizza box, like handwritten from like one of the people back there. So that was always really cool. But um, Marky pizza, great. And then Tamago no Gohan. So Something really simple, it's like, uh, I mean, maybe you guys have all watched Chef's Table, I'm assuming and Mind of a Chef with, uh, what is it, Ivan Orkin, where he talks about the time he went to the Japanese restaurant and he was hungry, the guy gave him like a bowl of rice mixed with the egg, that's essentially what it is. A lot of the times, like obviously, I don't go shopping too much, I'm busy, I have a lot of extra food from events, family meals at work, I work at a Chinese food restaurant, so obviously I have a lot of rice in my fridge. Easy to just heat up rice, add a raw egg mix it up so the heat from the rice cooks the egg and then add seaweed you can add literally anything but i just add seaweed and really really spicy chili oil and it's just a simple rice egg seaweed chili oil dish and it's oh i've actually put a little bit of a funny thing um, chicken bouillon chinese people use chicken bouillon so much just because it's dehydrated chicken stock delicious msg delicious so it's like adds a little salty chickeny factor to it so it's it's just like super simple but I can eat a bowl of it real quick and get back to whatever I'm doing.
2: Uh, the MSG, make so good, as I call it, gets a lot of <laughs> gets a lot of flack. But, you know, Chinese restaurants back in the day when the Cantonese-style food that's now kind of what we know was really yeah, Chinese a syndrome, they had it on the table. There was a white powder on the table that you could sprinkle more MSG onto your food look like a bowl of a bowl of cocaine i think that's what happened is too many bougie white people were uh trying to snort it and they go this stuff must be bad for you
1: i have no issue with it at all i think that it's a matter of dehydration people say they get headaches from it it's a it's a sodium monosodium glutamate. so it's dry it's not drying you out staying
2: balanced well i love giving us a little insight kind of into that japanese food but also just how asia has really captivated you through iron chef through some of the foods that you're eating at home. You just got back from a major life-changing trip to Korea. And so we always like to play a little best served on icebreaker game, a little fun game. Allows me the opportunity to geek out, go down some rabbit holes, research a little bit on something that guests is passionate about. So we are gonna play a game called soul food. Some interesting trivia stuff that I doubt on a little bit and give you an opportunity to talk a little, just a little bit about some of the things that you're passionate about within Korean food. So you mentioned kimchi and I think kimchi is a good place to start for us. So definitely, kimchi in Korean cuisine is like saying salad in French cuisine. It is so vast, so regional, so many ingredients, so many variants. People know one style, which is like the Napa cabbage, yeah, garlic, gochujang, gochugaru, Korean chili flake, fish sauce. Sometimes, sometimes really the fish sauce
1: or dried fish or something. Yeah,
2: yeah, that people know well. Shrimp paste, stuff like that. Not as old as people may think, and there's a lot of interesting things about that. And so, one of the things I found fascinating, the chili pepper wasn't uh, native to Korea until the 17th century, when it was actually brought by traders via mm-hmm. Japan. What country did these traders who brought chili peppers that are now so iconic in Korean food to the peninsula. Was it the British, Portuguese, or
1: Turkish? I'm saying Portuguese. 100%, Uh,
2: it was the Portuguese, yeah.
1: uh, Portugal has a lot of weird connections with Asia as far as, there's a place in China called Macau and it's a Portuguese um, inhabited area where they have a lot of tomato dishes that you don't usually see in China, things like that. So Portugal definitely uh, brought that there, I imagine.
2: It's so funny to think about that because you don't think about chili peppers and spicy food when you think about Portuguese food. And it's one of the first things that you think about when you're talking about Korean food. So, very, very interesting there. Totally. Yeah. The other thing I'm glad I got about, that one right. Is, <laughs> yeah, good job. You're one for one. You're holding up your street cred. Uh, fish sauce. Fish sauce is ubiquitous in so many dishes there. However, very, mm-hmm. very old traditional dishes actually used some kind of, of beef. Broth or beef based amino acid to facilitate fermentation because they 're much more of a cattle culture actually than they are a seafood culture of
1: course uh, which was some fascinating best beef in the world as well in Korea.
2: kimchi I personally my favorite is the pa kimchi. I really like the green onions a lot a lot. Is there yeah. a style of kimchi or a way of serving kimchi or eating kimchi
1: that is your go to um, so I have two that aren 't just like regular basic kimchi. You can get either like fresh or fermented, regular, like you said, chu kimchi, which is the Napa. I'm a big fan of cucumber kimchi where they take a whole cucumber and like kind of quarter it and then stuff it with kimchi filling. And it kind of kimchis from the inside out, making this awesome pickled cucumber kind of thing. And then another one is white kimchi. So like white kimchi is like no chili, no chili paste, but like a lot of other aromatics and then more dried fish. So it's not as spicy and it's like more of like a, Vinegared cabbage than anything so those two are something you don't see very often but they're really they're i mean they're all over the place when i was in in korea walking down all the all the different um markets and all the fresh markets there's just old ajumas they call them aunties just cutting up cucumbers and stuffing them full of kimchi begging you to take a sample from them they're just like shoving toothpicks of kimchi in your mouth and they're just so giving and so polite about it and those were Two ones that really that I really like in comparison to regular, just basic kimchi.
2: I think that's great, and I think somebody's going to listen to this and go, "Fuck, I didn't know there was different kinds of kimchi," and go seek yeah. one out. And I think that's what's fun about it. Question number two is actually the number one consumer of an ingredient in the world, and so is Bang. that ingredient a? <laughs> oh man, you don't even finish. <laughs> uh, uh, that's that's super funny. not not, uh not that garlic chilies
1: or fish sauce i mean there's garlic in almost every single thing i would that's where i would go
2: yeah garlic the number one consumer of garlic in the world we're talking 16 and a half pounds per capita annually consumed in korea that is a massive amount of garlic personally uh, i'm all about that black garlic i love 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 the sweetness and and the complexity that comes out it's such an interesting texture and flavor and so such a cool thing and being such a fermentation nerd love love are there any dishes that really pop and where the garlic is like so fundamental to you that it makes that
1: dish to be honest one of the coolest things that i saw and i've I've experienced this a lot even in Colorado because Aurora has a really high population of Kim, uh, or a lot of Korean people with, uh, H, over by H Mart. There's a lot of really cool Korean barbecue restaurants and a lot of underground places that you can find. But one thing that I've experienced in the past and saw a lot in Korea is their use of just straight raw garlic. So like like for instance, when you're eating Korean barbecue, um, one of their favorite things is, I mean, you get sam. So sam is like a wrap. You get like either uh Baichu, or you can get any um, songchu, like different types of lettuces. Perilla leaves, which is like a sesame leaf. They call it gae-nip in Korea. All these things that you're wrapping. And one of their favorite things to do is take just straight whole cloves of raw garlic and put it in with the barbecue pork, the barbecued beef, whatever it is, adding all different kinds of condiments, kimchi, bap, like you said, like different types of onions, whatever it is, and then dipping it in, in samjong. And then they're just eating just straight cloves of garlic and you can tell the difference of just the intensity of flavor if you're not eating it with a clove of garlic. Some places will slice them a little thinner, especially with like the more, um, I guess, the more like um, white people kind of places. You know what I mean? Like there you up, go. Like yeah, you, you can say it for the guy, I'm I'm for the guy in the round eyes. <laughs> you know, exactly. So, I mean, white people don't like a huge, crunchy pea- clove of garlic, but they'll slice it so you still get that intensity but not, you're not crunching into it, which some people find offensive, like with all the um, visitors and all the um, travelers and stuff in Korea. You'd find places closer to train stops and airports that would have it sliced as opposed to the whole clove.
2: I'll give some respect to the people that are willing to have the sliced garlic over eating a fucking McDonald's sandwich when they're in Seoul. So we'll, we'll, totally. we'll, give them, we'll give them a little bit of a pass. Question number three, the most popular dish in Korea... Is it a bibimbap,
1: which you mentioned, chop ching noodles, or bulgogi? Bibimbap and i would say bulgogi to be honest, because beef is such a big thing there. Bibimbap is kind of sushi for America, but it's like kind of the thing that people in Korea eat the shit out of bibimbap, but not as i would say bulgogi. Yeah, bulgogi is the number one dish by a pretty big margin, right?
2: So that. Marinated beef, and you'll see people do it with chicken and with pork as well, but it's totally. got that goju gong, it's got that thick paste on it, it's, you know, we, we see it here in the States raw, and you cook it yourself at the Korean barbecue places, thin, thin, slice Ribeye is really what I think pops the best in that. Bibimbap, I love, it's just so interactive because you have that hot, hot stone bowl, Boy, like drop you know the rice and the
1: that? egg and everything in there, and it burns totally. to the bottom a little see- bit. I didn't see many stone bowls when I was there, to be honest. Like, I, that's where I, we looked around everywhere. Like, we got to have a with the stone bowl. And a lot of the places, even like super where you walk past and there's not pictures anywhere and you have to order in Korean and there's everyone sitting there is like looking at you, like, why in the hell are these people here? Even in places like that, they don't serve stone bowls too often, which is really weird. I'm sure you have, like, I'm sure cert, more certain provinces have the stone bowl. When I was in Seoul, I searched far and wide. I looked everywhere trying to find one, but I couldn't.
2: Just interesting, I wonder that that if true. that's a more of an yes, Americanized yeah, thing.
1: And could I don't, be, I, don't I think that it's just like kind of province, but.
2: You did Korea Proud, three for three, well done. That was a fun little game of Seoul food. Come Kamsaamnida. Now we're going to get deep a little bit, get into some of the people that have impacted you. But before that, I wanted to touch on something that was selfish of me to, to talk about this, but it's really important because I think everyone lists why and who before what and how is such a reoccurring theme for me. The more we talk about our why, and why we get out of bed and do what we do, and who has been there along that journey, and who we're doing this for is really, really important. So when I started out on the Best Serve podcast, was kind of this this call to what is your archetype who's the audience that you're going after and create this one fictional person that you'd be speaking to and I started thinking about that and it turns out I actually knew that person and my, that person's name was Sean Lauer and so you literally were my archetype I was like I'm gonna go so deep that I know the exact person and you and I have talked about this a little bit and I thought it was very interesting mm-hmm. and the reason you're like what the fuck man (laughs) (laughs) the reason is i i am fascinated the margins i'm fascinated in the overlap of things and so i think so often managers and owners and line level and front of house versus back of house and there's morning guys versus night guys and and all of those we're always finding ways to to divide ourselves best are the ones that are the most cohesive and so I, I've always seen that you are existing in like multiple places at the same time, which is interesting. I think you've, you've been at the leadership level and seen the opportunities and challenges there. You've been at the line level and seen opportunities and challenges there. And so all the conversations we've had, we have always been very thoughtful about the, the empathy that it takes to understand kind of both sides of the equation. So. I was really fascinated that, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But I wanted to call that out for people to know that the archetype for the best served podcast, there was a single person, Sean Lauer, is who I want listening to the show. So I'm super <laughs> excited that we're talking, and uh, let's get into your story it. a little bit. Let's talk about your first job in the industry because I think this is fascinating. Didn't get in the industry until 23 years old, and I think that's really important. You talked earlier that you didn't know you were going to be a chef, and some of those things. I'm very interested, and I think people listening to that have maybe been in similar circumstances where they said they got into it later by accident or something. So your first job was at Papoose, a pizza place in Denver, Colorado.
1: I guess for me growing up, like I said, in that farming community, it was always like this is going to piss some people off probably, but it was always woman's like the mom's job to cook. Like it was never there was never like everyone's far. like all the men are farming and out there working in the fields and driving combines and driving tractors and it was like every time I ate a meal it went out it was always a mom cooking and like a mother cooking I mean obviously they do a better job than guys so that's probably something good to say about it but I it was never expect like I just didn't think that it was a possibility in the realm because I was just like that's what I looked at was that mothers were always the cooks or women were always the cooks so I never really looked at it is an opportunity for me, which is weird because now you're in professional restaurants and it's all men, you know what I mean? So like that, it's a weird thing when you're out in the country like that, not anywhere near a city and you don't have that kind of connection. So when I was in, like right out of college, I I went into property preservation, which is reselling homes for, uh, for, um, foreclosed homes for banks. So like I would go into a house and do the plumbing or do the electrical or the carpentry, landscaping, cleaning, disposal, whatever the case may be. I was doing all these things to get a a home ready for resale. I just, it it was, I hated it. It was so much work and doing all these different things and being at Home Depot half the day, buying all this random stuff. It was just, I didn't like it anymore. So I decided I wanted to go to Johnson and Wales. Um, I went to Johnson and Wales for a little bit less than a year while I was going to Johnson and Wales. My friend was like, Hey, you're cooking now. Like my uncle has a pizzeria. It was really close to my house, so I decided to get a job there. He's paying me10 dollars an hour. I didn't know any better at the time and I was making next to nothing, working 35 hours for $200 a week. and it was it was a cool thing. like it was cool to like see finally like what it's like to be in a kitchen and the work that goes behind it where you're not just cooking food the whole time. Half of it's cleaning. you're cleaning, you're keeping all your equipment nice. The thing that I learned from, from that restaurant, I guess was the the pride you take in working from scratch this place makes his own pizza dough his own pasta sauce his own cheese blend and all fresh ingredients and like nothing canned nothing so it's just like appreciation for like going down to the very bare naked of it and like not getting anything processed i guess and do you remember his name oh uh, yeah luke lucopolis he's a big greek guy i love him to death he's he's a good guy he always looked down on me because i wasn't I was super green I didn't know shit and like I I mean I still busted my ass and that's all that matters like if you go and you just fucking work hard and do whatever you someone tells you to do like there's nothing there's nothing they can really say about you at that point like you can tell me anything in the world to do and I'll do it as fast as I can and as efficient and as precise as I can like I'm not cutting corners and there's a lot of those kinds of things that he taught that that first job taught me about working in the kitchen.
2: Why did Johnson and Wales even come about for you?
1: Um, You know what? It was just a foot in the door. To be honest, like I didn't know, like I said, from a really small town, we had one restaurant in the town and there was four women working it. one worked the bar, one was the waitress and there's two women in the back cooking. It was never, I didn't even think of it as an option. And then coming into, I was like, Johnson and Wales is a good foot in the door and I don't know, I, I dropped out of Johnson & Wales once I realized that I could get a job in the kitchen and get paid to learn as opposed to paying someone $23,000 a year to learn, learn about food, like, it, I just dropped out, and so... I guess even more than, than
2: Johnson & Wales, you're from the small town, the idea of cooking never crosses your mind, you're doing this job, working in selling houses, hating it, cool,
1: cooking, culinary school, that i mean it was, it was, always, a it it was, was always, always a hobby for you it was always a hobby and i loved it you know what i mean i was always doing it at home i would go to whole foods and all of a sudden i'm spending 600 dollars. i'm like oh shit it was more of the like excitement of all these things that i had seen on on tv and all these like cool products like my mom growing up used like button mushrooms for everything or like all this like kind of lower end stuff and now i'm able to buy like shiitake mushrooms and Cool mushrooms and learning about foraging and then now I'm being able to buy like really nice steaks and crab and oysters and all these things that I'd only seen and being from a, t- a small town not being able to utilize so like now that I'm getting that it was just like super exciting and it just really like pushed me to like oh fuck I want to do this like for real and went to Johnston Wells and then that's kind of how that applied at least. Maybe
2: this is an opportunity for me to go down this path that I hadn't considered that was just a fun hobby and a little bit of geeking out watching Iron Chef. I think that's really great. Well, then we got to move in your career to when you really kind of crystallize yourself in a kitchen. The iconic Vesta Dipping Grill in Denver, Colorado already has been uh, uh, mentioned, and I'm sure it will get more and more mentions with more and more Denver chefs because it is really – churned out some serious, serious talent over the years. I mean, what's a
1: staple too? Let's reflect on
2: that time. Talking to about some of the people.
1: Vesta, I think they're going on their 25th year in Denver. Like that doesn't – Denver is more about trend. Like people want to go to the newest, coolest, hippest spot, and then it lasts like two years, and then it kind of fades off. Vesta has always – it used to be Vesta Dipping Grill, and now I think they changed it to just strictly Vesta. It's always been a super-duper solid restaurant good like new american food chefs that i worked with there were just amazing like everyone was just so badass and could just crank out 450 500 covers a night just cooking straight steaks and potatoes and fit like fish dishes like kind of along the lines of a steakhouse where it's now evolved from that but back then that's kind of what it was cooking with chefs like matt selby brandon foster dude matt selby was a uh, badass just the flavor combinations that he brought and this is we're talking 25 years ago so he had all kinds of, like different sauces and different desserts like his sticky toffee pudding is just one of the best things I think I've ever put in my mouth just to, to think about how working with him is just um, adapted in my career but anyways um, yeah Brandon Foster Matt Selby I've worked with um, yeah, let's Anderson
2: dig into Matt Selby. Selby let's stay let's stay there because cool, I think cool. that's, that's really good uh, Brandon Foster did have a lot of things to say he had some stories talk about some of the isms i love love isms some of the the matt selby isms i know him he's got a lot of them <laughs> tell, us, tell us a couple stories that really resonate with you some some things that um,
1: stick i mean, with you was, to this day it was more or less i don't know there's just certain little things like i remember one time he prompt he got an honorary uh, degree from Johnson and Wales. This guy like, (laughs) anyways, he like got this chair that they gave him. It was like an honorary degree from Johnson and Wales and he promised it to me. And he was like, oh, I broke it or something like that. And he just never gave it to me. I was like, what the hell, dude? Selby was more of a, came in and he was doing Ace and Steubens at the time as well. So came in, would spend a few hours there. We'd work a couple events together and he was just always a fun dude. He was sober at the time. So he's just a goofy guy and like, like started all the cool hand Luke stuff and playing like games in the kitchen, him and I are really good friends still to this day, but he just always cooked with, he says I always cook with a chip on my shoulder and he always considered himself an underdog. And he, I don't know, he was just very inspirational inspired you to want to work for him. He was never just the leader because he was the leader because he had gotten grandfathered in or he was there the longest. Now he's the chef. He made you want to bust your ass for him. And that was one of the coolest things that I've ever learned from uh, from a certain chef. Same thing with Foster. You don't go, in, I, I went to work every day, stoked, excited, because I'm going to work and they're joking around, we're having little games, we're playing like, it was more of like going into work and hanging out with my friends and cooking really, really dope food at a serious level, but still having a lightheartedness about it and proving to people what we could do even as underdogs. So like that was one of the coolest things I've ever, like I've ever really learned. And I still hold that very, very dear to my heart today.
2: Go deeper into that. I I love that. I think the why, why we get out of bed in the morning is so fucking important. And the yeah. fact that you were just stoked to go there, why is that balance between having the fun and having that jovial camaraderie and being able to execute at a high level?
1: Why is that important? And and how does that come about? Really depends on your, um, it's like, for me, I'm not, I'm not much of a morning person, even though I'm a.m. I'm production now, so I get up early and go to work. Back then, I was not a morning person, so I liked being able to go into work around 1, 2 p.m., which I was always early, and I was always one of the first ones there and doing all the things, but I would go into work and know that, like, oh, my friend's about to show up, and we would hang out after work, you know what I mean? So we just went out drinking the night before all hung over coming into work the next day, then just executing work at a super high level. There's something to be said, like we all talk about it, especially every line cook listening, every chef listening, the pride when you finish a busy service and you're sweating your dick off and you just got your ass kicked and you just realized that you didn't have one send back or you didn't have one refire and you just crushed it. And you, that's, the mo- that's the, one of the highest things you can ever get. And then going out and having drinks about it with your friends afterwards, and whether you guys got in a fight that night or whether you guys yelled at each other or had to snap at each other, being able to just get over that, come back the next day and do it all over again is huge. And then creativity on top of that, being able to express yourself. So you're not just going in, you're cooking someone else's menu day after day and cooking the same shit over and over. Them giving you the opportunity to be like, here, look, do something cool, then like show your personality. So having both of those things mixed together Honest to God, it's psyched to go to work every day.
2: So you, you moved from Vesta Dip and Grill to Central Bistro Central. with yeah, Maddie. Central. What made that happen? How you then stay connected beyond a restaurant, keeping that
1: relationship going to the next Um, place? To be honest, I'm going to be real. So um, <laughs> um, I was at Vesta still. Maddie had left um, the company. He, was, he had opened um, Ace. And that was kind of a recent thing. And then he'd left the company because he wanted to kind of make it happen on his own, do his own thing. And so he went to Central Bistro as the chef. I was still at Vesta and I got uh Foster actually fired me <laughs> for um for dabbing in the basement. So I was like in our locker room in the basement, way, way like, and I was taking dabs and like got in trouble for it and told not to do it again. And then I did it more. <laughs> and so I got fired from Vesta and matt selby was like yo come over here so i followed him there but still not because oh that was my only option i could have gone anywhere else but it was the respect that i had for him and i was like shit this guy been, like been here the whole time i look up to him i'm gonna go over there and he brought me over to central because of that
2: <laughs> okay i appreciate that that insight i think a lot of people you know struggle with doing dumb shit in a in a kitchen we've all done that i've
1: woken up you know and it was it was like i said it was my that that was my first professional kitchen i never really i didn't i was young i didn't know much better and i like everyone was smoking bowls outside anyways like i'm dabbing whatever anyways (laughs) that's interesting let's let's go back
2: to that because i know you want to talk about brandon foster a little bit and i think the the fact that you still have such a good relationship back and stuff and and knew that like he had to make a move but let's let's not dwell on that so much let's talk about brandon foster a little bit and Mm -hmm. what he really brought to your career and why he was
1: such an impact on you as well. Oh, man, dude. Brandon is one of the sweetest guys I've ever met in my life. Inspired you to want to work for him, but was never scared to get back on the line when shit got crazy and would bust shit out and like do it in a way that was constructive and not like, you're fucking up, I'd have to come back and help you. He's like, all right, let me show you how to do this more efficiently. Let me help you get this done more quickly or show you what I need. But I mean... Of course, there's times where he would yell and I feel like that and a chef kind of brings out some more respect where he's not just passive and scared to say something or yelling at you like a crazy person or throwing shit at you, but that fine balance in between where it's more, he was just the leader and he was just the one that you wanted to come to work for every day. Um, the way that he juggled a family and a, and a really busy full-time job was amazing. Took me to events and we would go to events like, Showing you that it can be fun, can be enjoyable, but but it's very, very serious. He was always on point, his flavors are amazing. I just appreciate his work ethic, and yeah, he means a lot to me. It's a good guy, he's really really nice.
2: It's great that you mentioned the event side because that's actually where you and I met, and I know how much being involved in the community, giving back to the community was really important, and then you have done. I don't know, a couple dozen events with myself and brewed food over the years so I can always appreciate that and I think that was clearly instilled in you for Maddie and Brandon who are so committed 100%. sometimes overextend themselves to, to help the community so I think that's really good to hear for
1: sure I've only been working in restaurants since well like 2012 so I've not like seven years and I've been in three different restaurants throughout that time so I haven't worked with a a whole bunch of people that have stuck around, but I'd like to mention people that have like stuck it out and people that work in restaurants for a long period of time and don't just bounce around and jump around and go to different places. Um, For instance, uh, one of the, the cooks that like, I really liked it. Vesta. S- Stephen Cox is his name. His, we call him sexy new girl, but he's been at Vesta for n- nine years now. I think he's there. Their CDC He's amazing. It just kind of shows that that kind of environment that that instilled where There's servers there that have been there close to 20 years. There's chefs that have been there nine years. It was very weird to me to go to different restaurants and see the separation front house, back house. But the way that Vesta worked together, like the front house and back house were best of friends. And there was no, there was never that feeling of separation, but servers like Sean Martinez and Timmy Durgan, Carrie Cummings, who's one of the best bartenders and never in my opinion has been there for 10 years or something like that. And she's amazing.
2: So really good stuff, hearing about people from Vesta for sure. They need a lot of shout outs, some great people. We mentioned Central Bistro. I know we want to get in that a little bit and actually call out specifically your Unsung Hospitality hero. Talk to me about who
1: that is and then just a little bit about Central in general and some of the people that impacted you there. Uh, Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, Matt Selby was the reason I went there. I can't talk highly enough about him but after he left central um jesse vega became the executive chef that is my guy jesse vega is my dude he he's from queens new york um worked worked nitty gritty in queens restaurants moved to philly worked with a couple of good chefs there um and then came to denver to go to central bistro and he was a chef there for a long time and then once maddie left got offered the the executive chef position his creativity we did a i mean just to like on his creativity a little bit. We did a WWE brunch where we did, we all dressed up as wrestlers and we had this big themed brunch that was based off of WWE. We had like uh, like Scotty Too Hotty hot chicken and waffles, um, Roddy Rod Piper and like, we had the ultimate warrior pancakes with like cake sprinkles, shit like that. So it was like a bunch of different dishes based off WWE wrestlers and just the creativity that he had was incredible. I mean, he was the, the mind behind the three-foot chimichanga working super-duper hard and just was always there, refused to just be the, the expo stand, would come in the back, work with you, like, ah, oh, just a just super nice guy. And he actually lives back in Queens now, and he has a, a couple jobs there, uh, two daughters and a wife, and he's doing the whole family thing, but he, is, he was just such a badass. And to see the, way, the quickness and speed that he could work with was just super inspiring and it's something like a lot of things that he's they're like the pictures in my head of him working where i'll just never forget he taught me how to do every single thing you could think brunch wise
2: connect the dots to a couple things that you do when you're leading a team when coming up with creative ideas for some of your you know pop-up events that you do which are super cool that jesse vega really instilled in you some of
1: those again i love the isms man give me some of those from jesse vega (laughs) Um, You know what, he's he's got like a super thick Queen's accent. He was always talking about how a couple of times he would get held down on tables and like threatened, like, are you gonna fucking do that again or not? And one of the things is like, yo, just tell you like, okay, I learned from that, I'm not gonna do it again. So he, in a very aggressive (laughs) uh, and vulgar way, like taught me, yo, are you gonna do that again? No, and then so kind of helps you realize like you're gonna make mistakes and shit's not always gonna be perfect. But if you learn from it and you make sure it doesn't happen again, then, I mean, that's you're only looking up, being perceptive and just learning from everything that's going on around you. And he always knew. One time, shit, one time, um, I, I'm in the back prepping, like, J Station for um, brunch that day. And he comes in the back and he's, like, checking, making sure everything's ready. We're about to start service. I was, like, hey, man, just because he looked really stressed. I was, like, hey, man, just so you know, um, everything's good back here. And he's, like, don't tell me. He's, like, I'll tell you when everything's good back here. And it was just very much like, you know, what I mean, like, like I'm in charge and like I'm checking everything. Just let me check everything. You don't have to speak up and try and tell me everything's good. But
2: what's something that maybe you got the opportunity to teach Jesse? I think knowing him a little bit, he's somebody who's always very studious on his own as well. So you talk about those interactions, which I love and are super interesting. What about some the other way where maybe you had the opportunity to like bring some value? somebody like Jesse or just just any of these chefs that we're talking about what is some Sean isms that they may mention when asked
1: um I mean to be honest uh I don't I don't like to speak about myself too much I think that it's more or less my I the way that I was always receptive to things you could tell me anything you get upset with me you can scream whatever the case may be but I would always do what you said and do it with a smile and I would do anything and just not not be like, oh shit! I have to do this. I don't want to do this or peel this garlic and chop it. That's that's a bullshit job. I would anything that you would ever need done in the kitchen, any station, any time, any prep pri- prep project for any other station. Like it didn't matter. It's a matter of the job needs to get done. It like and to be honest, if who's gonna do it, just just do it. Like Nike says, just do it.
2: That's pretty good talking about yourself. That's absolutely such an important thing is being the guy whatever that means because best laid plans go to shit in the kitchen pretty quick and that's definitely something that i i can co-sign on having with you as well as is that just anything it takes attitude i think is super important timeless like that'll never that'll never not be the right way uh, i think in the industry so i think that's really great great conversation we always like to leave everybody with some words to live by, take out on the world, take into the kitchen, take into the restaurant, make it a better place. And you say, respect the old, search for the new.
1: Tell us what that means to you. So, I mean, it's a funny thing. It's from, from Iron Chef. It's one of the, the quotes that I think pops up at the beginning of the, every single episode. And it was kind of, uh, well, like, same with like Briat Sovran, tell me what you eat, t- I'll tell you who, or who you are, or whatever. But it's more about in a restaurant tr- like just traditional food in general like being traditional you don't have to stick to you have to do it this way or you like there's so many different ways to do things so respecting the old and respecting the soul or like the heart of something and like the like what it, the very base of it then looking for different ways to to do things or different things you can add to keep the initial heart of it but still reach out and kind of grow. Because, you know, we got to keep growing as an industry and we have to keep putting out new flavors and wanting to be just like a big flavor maker. You don't want to think that, oh, all the flavors in the world have already been been introduced and we're kind of just playing around with those things. Like there's always something new that can be done and just respecting tradition, but looking for new things.
2: Could not agree more. And I love that you brought it full circle back to Iron Chef, those early days of inspiration. I think is great. That is a perfect way to bring this story to a conclusion. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the industry, for myself personally, for so many chefs. Thanks for telling their stories a little bit and just bringing some value to the conversation. You have a very great why and who behind you, which is always going to mean what you do and how you do it is just going to fucking rock. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate you, Jensen. Cheers. Sean has had uh, quite a few really instrumental chefs in his life and his career. We talked about his kind of second career. So he really gravitated towards some powerhouses in the Denver scene. And I'm very excited uh, knowing Jesse Vega, having him on the line. I'm excited to talk to you, Jesse. Thanks for getting on the show for a minute.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me
2: yeah so it was uh it was great getting from sean kind of a little bit of your guys's relationship and wanted to get you on to talk about that as well but before we talk about the relationship between the two of you as you know chef sous chef and uh comrade I want to touch on your origin story a little bit he mentioned fast talking uh queen's boy but talk about uh new york a little bit as far as how it kind of developed you as a chef and then talk about that first job in the industry we always want to kind of know like what your segue into getting this crazy fucking industry was so tell us a little bit about those early days
0: yeah sure i mean uh i started you know working you know uh, at a restaurant called the plage It's actually in wading river so i was a little further out in long island um so i was just, I went to that restaurant for my birthday my parents surprised me to you know by having me meet the chef which was just basically I showed a bit of interest in cooking and I did a lot of it at home but never like knew like how I would get into the industry so much and so for my birthday they put me into the kitchen and had me meet the chef and the chef uh, before he said anything to me he just threw an apron at my chest and told me to temper chocolate now I was 16 years old and I almost shit my pants because I've only seen kitchens on TV. So I walked into the back of this war zone, practically, which is just they were, you know, it was a Saturday night. They were super busy. And I thought he was serious. So I just put the apron on and I just kind of like stood there like I don't know how to do any of that. And then he just laughed and he was like, oh, I'm just I'm just messing with you, man. Like, how you doing? my You know, And he introduced himself and, and talked to me a little bit. And he's like, I hear you want to cook. And I was like, yeah, I've been been really interested in it. I, I, you know, that's kind of what I want to do. And, you know, I had to keep a poker face, but I was a bit terrified of the the reality of it. But at the same time, it was kind of like, wow, this, this is a intense challenge. And like, I don't want to back down from something I really want to do. Like I have to, you know, give it a shot or whatever. And, you know, I thought he was, I thought he was still kidding and still messing with me, but he basically just said, you know, if you want to come and work on the weekends, you know, and then you can come work full time when you're on, when you're uh, on your summer break. Because I was, you know, 16 years old. I was still in school, in high school. And, um, you know, I, I said yes. And, and, and then, you know, insisted that, are you, are you serious? And he was like, absolutely. You know, so I basically started, you know, at 16 years old in this really um, amazing restaurant in Waiting River in Long Island, which is still going strong. And uh, basically, you know, that wasn't my title as Kitchen Bitch, but I would say that was probably what I was for, for a while. <laughs> Just got, kind of getting yelled at and doing all this, the, the real tedious work and, and basically doing everything wrong. And, and, and also at a time where, you know, there was really no filter. Uh, I was very aggressive and, and loud, and, and uh, they didn't really hold their tongue or, or, or how they felt about my performance in any way, shape, or form. So that really just kind of uh, put me through the fire a lot and kind of de- develop this thick skin and this, this uh, you know, put your head down and get the job done, you know, no matter what it takes, you know, if there's, you know, make time, you know, prep, meat and plots, get everything ready and just find out how to not get yelled at every day when you go into work like every every night I would go to sleep and figure out like what I did wrong and how could I not get yelled at tomorrow and then sure enough I get yelled at about something else but you know you still just keep keep working at that working on that working on that and then um, I feel like that restaurant kind of molded me into like being able to walk into other kitchens with enough confidence you know to, you know, to cook and, and you know keep my head Keep my head above water and, and perform
2: this is great usually we kind of just touch on that first job but i'm want to g- go back a little bit because i think this is really interesting why did your family just shove you into that kitchen at, the, at that early age
0: ah oh, man I, I i don't know i think they thought it would just be a fun surprise you know like oh you want to cook how about you meet the chef and then they were like, you got the job here? Like they, So this is my parents' like favorite restaurant. And they like looked at restaurants for forever to find a good place. And they found this place that they loved. And they just thought it would be a nice idea. You know, I don't think they thought that like that I would be working there. I think they were just as shocked as I was. They think it would be yeah. a nice surprise and they were kind
2: of fucking with you a little bit too, like, oh, here you go. Get your ass <laughs> into the kitchen.
0: Yeah. Kind of one of those like. Yeah, maybe it would be best if you didn't do that. So here, let me show you the reality of it, and then, sure enough, you know, I was just crazy enough to to want to do it. But no, I think they just wanted to support me, and they knew that they really loved the restaurant, and, uh, and I just, just the, I guess the idea was like, hey, just come meet the chef, and I, you know, this would be like we're we're crushing it right now as parents. Like we just got the, you know, this kid to meet the chef. Like, what are you know, what are the chances? And then it just like blossomed and grew into like the start of my career.
2: Yeah, that's a great origin story. All right, so let's let's move forward now. You you come out to, to Denver, Colorado. Maybe just touch on how that actually came about, and then let's get right into where you and Sean first connected here in Denver, Colorado.
0: Sure. Uh, well, basically, Denver was – I was living in Puerto Rico at the time, and so I knew that I didn't want to go back to New York, born and raised there. I didn't want to just go back to that again. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into and I was like, no, I could do Croatia or I could do something else. And I was like, but uh, you know, basically I don't speak the language and I'd only have enough money to land there. And then I'd be screwed. And, you know, I was just, I don't know why Croatia. I just wanted to like hang out by the ocean and eat seafood and stuff. I I really don't know. But then one of the pastry chefs that I used to work with in New York, um, Amy, Uh, she's from Denver and I remember a conversation kind of resurfaced about like how much she loved Denver and Miss Denver and would probably eventually want to move back and I just was like oh what about Denver oh I totally forgot about that and I just literally just googled Denver and was like so mind you I I was just visiting my parents at the time we were all sitting down in the living room and I just googled Denver and I was like I could do Denver and just bought a one-way ticket and then Within just hanging out with my parents in the living room, I was like, "Hey guys, just so you know, I'm moving to Denver." And they like, they're like, "Excuse me?" And I was like, "Yeah, no, I think I could do this. It's, a, it's it's like a really cool city. It's like it's not too big, it's not too small." Like, and they're like, "Well, when?" I was like, "Well, next weekend. I booked the ticket already." And they're like, well, "What are you going to say?" I'm like, oh, "I'll be fine." Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you're just turns out- getting
2: thrown into the kitchen. You're just like, "I just put on the fucking apron. Let's go." Like,
0: that's what I mean. Like, you know, I mean that. You knock on a couple delivery doors eventually somebody's going to need you you get some income until you find out exactly where you want to be but everything it was all it was all like so it was everything was a blessing because basically you know my cousin who lives in New, york, who i thought still lived upstate new york actually lived in Arvada, and was like hey i have a finished basement you can stay at my place until you get your own apartment like out of nowhere and like you know, she's a close cousin of mine. You know, I was like, I, I I really thought she still lived upstate New York, and she lives in Arvada the whole time. So out of you know, so then I got so I moved to Arvada. Then the chef that that uh, you know told me about you know the whole conversation about Denver. I told her I was planning on going, and she's like, Oh, well, I'm friends with with Seth, who's the general manager at Central Bistro. You should go talk to him. And I was like, Okay. And then I I literally just bought a plane ticket. Flew there, dropped my bags off, and went the next morning, talked to Seth, staged there, and then, you know, ended up getting the job and working at Central Beast Show, like, the whole time that I lived in Denver.
2: This is a fucking amazing story. So far, (laughs) you're two for two on stories. First job in the kitchen and getting to Denver. These are amazing. Just, I love it. Just that hustle. You're just going to get in it and mix it up and make it happen. I think it's super great. So then... Was Sean already working at Central Bistro? He came on later, Well give us a little bit of the timeline there and then and then, yeah, talk about those early days with uh, Mr. Sean Lauer.
0: yeah, i mean i I want to say it was probably a, a year after working there um, because you know uh, Maddie hadn't started yet, so when I worked there we were we had uh, an executive chef who ended up moving on to work somewhere else and then promoted um, one of my other friends, Jason and Matt, and then they were the chefs and then they moved on and then Maddie came on. So there was a few transitions, was, you know, there's a couple of things going on, you know, within that timeline. And it wasn't until Maddie worked there and then I guess the things lined it up between whatever was going on with, with Sean, I'm having a hard time not calling him Spills. I, you've said Sean so many times, like I, it's, it's not rolling off the tongue. <laughs> but
2: uh, yeah, so. Well, tell everyone listening why why uh, his nickname is Spills. I mean, we can get into that.
0: <laughs> well, my favorite story about Spills is that they call him Spills because he just kept dropping everything. But then there was, you know, especially like the, what was it, like a 24 quarter sauce like in the walk-in at Vesta. But then, you know, a- after trying to defend himself and like being like, "Listen, my name is not Spills, okay? I'm not," and he like like lost it, and then just like flung his hand and ended up like dropping like another thing of like sauce all over the floor. Like in his rant of defending, you know, called Spills just ended up dropping another container of sauce, and I was just hysterical laughing at that story. And I was like, "That that there's no way that that cannot be your name." I'm, like, I'm sorry, like you know, it's, just death, it's just self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Like, just it at this point. <laughs>
2: I'm all, I'm all about isms and funny stories and these little background stories because we all have them. We all Somebody's listening to this go, I know that guy. Because there's just these commonalities in kitchens if you work across enough of them. So I, I and love that. <clears throat> and, then, and I know Sean, a.k.a. Spills, will get a laugh out of it too.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, and, and with, with, with nicknames in general, I mean, I can't tell you how many people that I only know their nicknames. And then when I had to start giving out checks, I was like, who are these people? <laughs> it's like, I only know these guys by their nicknames, and now I'm like trying to hand out checks, and I don't even know who these, half these people are. It's embarrassing. Oh, that's good. All right, now we're on nicknames.
2: Throw some out there. We love the opportunities to just name drop, shout out any of those people. So, who are some of those people working alongside you and Sean, <laughs> Matt Selby, in those Central Bistro days? And then let's talk a little bit more, too, just about the relationship with Sean, but take a second. Well,
0: well no, it's okay. I mean, we- yeah, well I mean I, I'm a little bit on the spot right now. I mean, I know there was always like, you know, a gordo, a polo, a, you know, there was always I mean in my industry at least there was Chango, you know, there was like all these different names of people that like it it didn't take me it, it took me a while to finally like realize like hold on, like what what's actually like your real name and it would be like completely different. <laughs> but you know, as far as like, you know, my you know, my relationship with Spills and when he came on board you know, I want to say it was about a year after I started, you know, working there. And when he came on, he just had this kind of like guns blazing, like no BS attitude, just like get shit done, put your head down, work hard, clean as you go. Not a whole lot of like, no sorries, no explanations, just heard, you know? And, and I want to say that, and I don't mean this in any disrespect anyone in Denver, any of the cooks out there, but I just felt like it was a, maybe it was just the timing, but it was just everything was a little bit more pampered, a little bit more like soft, a little bit more like, you know, people were giving like these drawn out excuses and and sorries and these things that I just never been used to in my life working in the industry, in kitchens in in New York City, where it's just like, I don't want to hear anything about how you got from A to B. Like, this is brass tacks. We need to like, I know how you got there. Just say heard. I don't want to hear sorry. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that. Just get it done. You know, and, and, and spills or Sean was, was that, was that cook. And I, and I've told him many times, I was like, are you sure you're from where you say you're from? And he was like, yeah, why? I was like, you're, you're like a, like a purebred, like New York chef. Like you, you like I, I haven't seen you guys out here. Like, this is intense. Like you, like, and I think that's why we vibed right away. It's like we had a very similar work ethic. Uh, we, we just, you know, our whole goal was like, you know, get our mise and place, get get shit done. You know, yes chef, no chef, heard. You know, just that's it. You know, keep it simple, get it done. If you if you fucked up, you know, then then uh, then you just you just got to eat it. You just got to take it and just say heard and keep moving. You know, like nobody wants to hear about like why you did it. You know, it's just it's got to get. You got to fix it. You got to get it done. And I feel like that was his attitude. I didn't feel like that was his attitude the entire time. And um, I think we get along so much, you know, to, you know, I think we were so similar because, you know, we would always, there's, there's times that we would actually get on each other's nerves and like, just have a full on, like, like lock the walk in. Let's like hang out in here for a while and just like hash it out and like scream at each other. And I think it was just because we're so similar that it was just so easy to, like, get under – just to, like, get us going, you know?
2: Yeah, go deeper so, into that. I'm, I'm interested in that dynamic because I think it's super important. The words that I always bring up are trust and confidence. You know, like, you can raz somebody. You can, you can needle them because you want the best for them. That only comes, though, with that trust and confidence. So dig into that a little bit more, how the two of you were able to – connect at that level so that you guys could push each other in like a productive way versus just fucking bitching at each other and throwing stuff you know
0: uh well i mean that was like a zero tolerance anyway like as soon as as soon as there was like any hint of that it was like immediately after the shift like i'm taking you outside and we're going to talk about this you know like it, it, like there's no room for that you know like you know, if we, there's, there's something you want to talk about, we could talk about it, but if you're going to take jabs, like, during the shift, and, like, slow things up, and get people, like, riled up, then, then we got to talk, you know, but as far as, like, the best thing about him is, you know, man, just honesty, right, like, it, there's nothing worse than, like, me trying something that, like, either I did, or someone else did, and then, them just being, like, putting on this like show of like, Oh man, this is so good. And just all this BS and like putting out like all the bells and whistles and, and, ju- and just like hyping people up just cause they're like the ones in charge. Like they're the chef, you know, it's like, man, it's so much better. Like for something, like if I made something and I was like kind of about it or even if I was proud about it and I would have Sean taste it and he'd be like, I didn't know. Like, you know, and just like, you know, just like, tell, tell me why it sucks. You know, like what can we do to make it better? That's why you're trying it. I'm not trying because I need an ego boost. I'm trying because I want somebody to be honest with me and like, let's, let's, let's work on these things and let's build and make things delicious, you know? And, and the same thing on his end, like, okay, well, you're really stoked about something you're in the right direction. Let's taste it and let's, let's see where we're at, you know? And sometimes we would just, you know, agree to disagree. Sometimes we would take each other's criticisms and, you know, but we, you know, at the end of the day, it was all, you know, for the love of growth and to to be better and to to overall like enhance the guest experience and not put out bullshit and no smoke and mirrors. It's just true, like delicious stuff.
2: Yeah, as many perspectives as possible, I think is valuable too, because it's so subjective, right? Like and dislike within food is so, so subjective. So this is something else that you're touching on that I think is very, very valuable and important, the feedback that is a difficult thing because there's a lot of ego tied up in it. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of, well, you just said, my kid is ugly in food, right? In the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Give us, give us some insight for maybe a young up and comer wanting to be able to give that feedback, but not feeling confident in saying something to who's in charge. That's really important. Is Is there some methodology, some approach, some like, something that you can give us that gives that person the opportunity to say that because it's challenging they've said it and gotten their fucking head bit off right
0: well yeah it's like what
2: do you know i'm the chef so i'm very interested in that dynamic i think it's very important and if we're open and we have that open dialogue that was clearly
0: important to you we can succeed if we shut it down they're not going to say shit and then you're in a bubble yeah i mean i i know that i've been on the other end of that where i've been the line cook and the chef wanted me to try something. And I gave him my opinion on it. And he goes, well, that's why you're a line cooking on the chef. And then just, like, walked away. Now, I never forgot that because, like, that was pretty degrading, you know. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I was like, why did you let me take it? Why-, why did you ask me to try it? Like, did you have a bad day? Did you lose a fight with your girlfriend? And you needed somebody to just, like, boost you up a little bit? Or did you really want to know what's going on? You know, like, that was my opinion and you didn't like to hear it. Well, why didn't you ask me why I thought that way, you know, like, why don't you challenge me to like, to, you know, to give you a better explanation of the, to why I disagree with it. Or maybe you didn't give me enough information to know like where you were coming from, you know, like, why did you make this dish in the first place? What were you trying to accomplish? You know, you just get, you just blindsided me and told me here, try this. What do you think? And then I tell you what I think, and then you don't like what I think. (laughs) So it's like, you know, like, what are you setting me up for? You know, like I, at the, you know, I think it's unfair. And you know, if you, I think if a, if if a chef trusts the people that he's working with enough to try their food and give them an honest uh, feedback, then they should be prepared to to hear it, and and to know that it's criticism. And we you know, I could I could get like, you know, if you had if your direction to make something a certain way, and you felt like you were spot on, the person said that it well, it's really. This way, and it's like, well, that's kind of what I was aiming for. And it's like, Oh, well, if that's the case, then yeah, I think you're spot on. But you know, it, it really just depends. It's great.
2: Here's what I love. You're the first person in any period of time in any interview I've done that said why more than I do. It's like my whole thesis is right why and who before what and how. Why, 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 why is like so important. I just had to say it like six times just so my count was above yours. I think that's great. (laughs) The why is so important. The why is everything. It really creates so much context and allows the opportunity for the dialogue to then get to the trust and the confidence. Otherwise, it's just I said a thing and you took it as a slight. There was no opportunity for growth within that interaction, which I think is great. And so you really appreciated that about Sean to bring it back to, to our boy, Mr. Lauer, I think we're going to call him from now on. Uh, <laughs> and and there was just that. It was innate in him. No matter what, he was going to give you the honest feedback. Maybe talk about the other direction as he, especially with how committed he is to Asian ingredients and techniques and cuisine, especially with Korea, which we got to talk about with him as well uh, when you were able to give him that that feedback and how that interaction went
0: well i mean the when he did asian uh flavors i i thought it was just a great opportunity you know to learn because you know that's not something i mean i i have a general understanding but when you really dig dig deep like you know i don't hold a candle to the knowledge that Mr. Lauer has, you know, as far as, uh, you know, that type of cuisine. And so it was super interesting to kind of, um, to try his food and to kind of go on the direct, you know, because we were, all right, we were Central Bistro, right? So it's like, okay, like, yeah, we're New American. And like, you know, I understand that like, you know, your flavors are more Asian, but like, how do we kind of like make it still identify, like, how can you, how can we still identify that this is Central Bistro, you know, and not just like Sean Lauer doing like this amazing Asian food at a restaurant? you know, because we kind of have that creative freedom, like, how do we tie it all together? So that was kind of the thing that was like, your food is amazing. Your ingredients are amazing. When I talk to you, I'm I'm always learning about, you know, that style of food, because it's not something that I, that I, you know, was passionate about at the time. And so it was kind of like, all right, well, how do we how do we dial this into like, our, our identity, you know, because we're still Central Bistro at this time, you know, and then it was one of those things where he was like, well, I think it's delicious. And then I was like, yeah, I guess you're fucking right. <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, we're New American, what is that anyway? Like, whatever you think it's? I think it's delicious too. I was just a little insecure about like, maybe it's not Central Bistro, but it is delicious. And I think that people should just know what delicious food is and let's just put it out, you know, and like, just try it, you know, what's, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. and there's a lot of times where like like i was challenged you know by him you know and and it and it, and it kind of made me like stop for a second and, and rethink and kind of like i know i'm trying to you know it's still like you know I'm, it wasn't going so far off like the central Show identity you know but i was just a little bit like if i'm you know just trying to keep things dialed into like a certain you know what people expected when i came here but the end of the day that people were happy and they loved the food. So it was just like, why would I deprive anybody from that? I don't know.
2: Yeah, it goes it goes back to what you said of just being honest. He just goes, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. It's just delicious. And I think that's I think that's interesting. Now on the flip side, I definitely have seen in Mr. Lauer a lot of development in telling the story. Because I think the passion that he has for specifically Korean especially And just Asian ingredients and techniques and culture generally is the story. The why is so important. And I think he's now gotten a lot of the why and he has presented that through food. I think the next evolution is to be able to tell that story so people buy into the why more than just the what is being served to them because then that makes it timeless for them versus, oh, that was this interesting special. I had this one time at Central Bistro and that's the yeah. evolution. And that's what I think you were getting to. And I think it's that is super cool too because he was saying, chill out, don't overthink it. And you were saying, hey, what is your why? And always where that intersection is seems like where you guys really gelled. And so you, you were bringing him up and he was kind of bringing you back. It's like clouds and dirt you know, like you were in the clouds and he was in the dirt and it's about both, right? You pull from right. both directions, which I think is super interesting. Jesse, my man, what an amazing conversation. I cannot wait until you and I are talking about the full breadth of your story because we already got some really, really great nuggets here. Uh, thank you for the mentorship and friendship that you gave somebody like Mr. Sean Lauer, a.k.a. Spills, Spills. because it's yeah. so important to nurture such amazing people on our industry at every single level so thank you for talking with us
0: oh my gosh thank you for having me so fun cheers thanks for listening to the best served podcast subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at best served podcast tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes